The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, best cars for dog lovers. Petite Le Mans is coming to our town, bull riding, and our special guest, Kevin King, the president of Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. All that and a whole lot more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim, right now on Bud's Garage Overdrive. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Tim DePasquale, a poster to the stars. How you doing, man? I'm good, Bud. How are you? I'm doing great. You know what we missed last week? What? National Dog Week. Actually, it was like 10 days ago. Uh-huh. It was August 26th. A little later in the show, and I bring this up right now because my Facebook post this morning includes a picture of Molly, mm-hmm. a picture of my latest ride, and okay. a picture of where she rides in the ride, mm-hmm. because Brian Moody's going to come on and tell us about some car... Dog-friendly cars, not car-friendly dogs. Well, but, well yeah, I guess same, it works one both ways. Same, right. But that's, that's a little bit later in the show. Okay. Last week, we talked about an engine on the show, all right, that had, that had rotors in it. Yeah. Remember about right. the big block Chevy? Right. But I was talking about this engine that this uh, gentleman had designed, and I talked about there were three rotors on one side, three rotors down the center, and three rotors on the other side. And somehow I equated that to 12 rotors. So I was misspoken. Okay. There are four rotors in each of those locations. Mm-hmm. Four where the cylinder head would be on one side, four where it would be on the other side, and then in the valley you have well, four Well, you know, more. my eyes had glazed over by that. I so. knew that. I knew <laughs> so that. But I, I, I didn't just, catch the mistake of probably well, many others. I, I do know that three plus three plus three does not equal 12. Okay. All right. You got it? <laughs> How many was that? Three plus, plus three, three plus, plus three. three. Nine. Nine. All right. Okay. But this is a 12-rotor inch. Uh-huh. Because I had talked about that. Okay. Okay. Just so you know, you got that all straight. I got it all straight. All I- right. You used to be able to learn stuff about cars from your dad or your uncle out in the driveway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you did your own stuff, your own repairs. And so you got to know your way around tools. And maybe if you grew up on a farm, you got your way to you know know your way around tools and and mechanical things and that. That stuff isn't available as much as it used to be. No, it isn't. So before you you know get involved in in going to a dealership or a, you know a, a manufacturer or something like that, the best way to get some basic knowledge is automotive technology training. And Lanier Technical College offers it at two campuses in Dawson County and Barrow County. And you can get an automotive technology degree. You can get an automotive technology diploma. And you can get certificate levels in chassis technician, climate control, electrical and electronic systems, which is a very good thing to have nowadays. Engine performance, uh, engine repair and transmission and transaxle uh, specialist. And right. these also kind of coincide with the ASE certifications that you need. You can't come out of a technical college with an ASE certification because you have to work in a dealership or the manufacturer for so many years before you can take the test. But this is a huge head start. Mm-hmm. So before you you know jump into a scholarship program, perhaps, you could use a, in Georgia, if you're a resident, you can use the HOPE grant or the HOPE scholarship right. to take this program. But... Uh, industry scholarship that's offered by Ford or GM or, or uh, Mopar, before you jump on that bandwagon, make sure that you've got your ducks in a row as far as knowing one end of the car from the other and how the systems work with each other and independently of each other. And the automotive technology course at Lanier Technical College is a place to get a great start. Oh, yeah. And it's- you can be from in-state, out-of-state. Right. And they'll take care of you well. You'll come out and be welcomed by the dealer when you have this level of training uh, because it takes a load off of them. Oh, sure. But this, if you combine it with dealer training, which most of the dealers have special programs you go to, it's just a a double whammy of success. Sure. So check this. If you've got a heart for working on cars, coming out of a school gives an employer such as myself the 
the idea that he's not wasting his time because Correct. You, you have uh, spent your time and your money to learn the basics, and that's important. Absolutely. Check that out at LanierTech.edu. Well, our next guest was actually on our podcast some time ago. He's been a longtime friend of the show, but he came in to do a podcast with us, and I think it was episode number eight, if I'm not mistaken, Bill. Uh, and he uh, he is a car expert, but he's a car enthusiast, and he's he's always enthusiastic about what he's talking about when he uh, when he's with us here in the garage. And that would be Brian Moody, executive editor of Kelly Blue Book and AutoTrader.com. And uh, he's going to tell us today, uh, since I was talking earlier about a picture that I posted on my Facebook page, he is going to tell us uh, about cars that are dog-friendly or that cars that would accommodate somebody that's a dog person and wants to take their dogs traveling. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Good to talk to you guys again. August 26th <laughs> was the National Dog Day to celebrate our dogs. And... Uh, I found it interesting, right? Uh, because when this came to me, it it started. It, it's talking about best cars for dog lovers, and I thought, what's a best car for a dog lover? And uh, you were traveling, I was traveling, so we couldn't we couldn't actually do it the day after Dog Day. Uh, but I would like to get back to best cars for dog lovers. What's that's all about? Well, there's certain features that cars have that would be better for dogs versus others, just like you might consider some of your other hobbies or lifestyle choices when you buy a new or used car. I'll give you a great example. Um, this is a Tesla, so it's an electric car, but the electric car isn't really the part that's the dog-friendly part. It's that they kind of gave this extra attention to detail. So say it's a hot day or a cold day. And you have to run inside, you're doing errands, dogs can't come inside, and everyone always says, don't leave your dog in a hot car because it's dangerous. Okay. Right. In the Tesla Model 3, and actually all Teslas, you can lock the car, leave it on with the air conditioner running, or the heater, depending, and on the screen, a message pops up that says, don't worry, my owner knows I'm in here, and the temperature is set to 68 degrees. So that way, no one's going to try to rescue your dog from inside the car that they think, you know, that kind of thing. It's a little thing. It doesn't functionally change the way the car works. It's just a little piece of software that they added that I think makes a big difference. Oh, that's and huge. With some of the other cars, you see an abundance of aftermarket accessories, you know, that kind of thing. So anything that can accommodate your dog. Do you think? Do you think that the other manufacturers w- will catch on to this as more people? travel with the dogs because we have a dog we travel with we have a little king charles cavalier she does not take up a lot of space but we want to take her everywhere we go that's why we've got her um more people have adopted pets and stuff during this covid uh situation we went through more hotels accept pets more restaurants accept pets and things like that so what are some other cars that can accommodate dogs uh you mentioned the Tesla, but what are some other things, and what are some other things that these cars provide, uh, such as the Tesla, you know, taking care of the climate control? Um, for one thing, if the car is low, like has a low floor, mm-hmm. so for example, um, not pickups, full-size pickups, the dog can't always jump up that high, and when the dogs jump down, it can be hard on them. So think like a minivan would be a good choice. We have the Chrysler Pacifica and the Toyota Sienna on our list. Um, also, think of cars that have lots of aftermarket ex- or uh, manufacturer-provided accessories, such as Subaru. They have everything from little chew toys to these soft crates that can be anchored to inside the car. Because remember, your dog should really be secured inside the car. They shouldn't be just wandering around. That's right. Yeah. Um, so you could have a kennel or one of those soft, you know, thing cages in the back. Cage sounds like a terrible word, but that's, you know, like a kennel. Um, and if you don't like that, you can use a harness that clips into the car seatbelt system. Subaru has tons of that stuff. Subaru even has portable travel water dishes that are, like, splash-proof and the harnesses and all that kind of stuff. So the Subaru Outback's on our list. Um, same with the Ford Bronco Sport and the Hyundai Santa Fe. They just have so many choices for what owners can do with the car to accommodate their dog. The, you talk about uh, minivans and things like that, and... And pickup trucks, uh, pickup truck, yeah, maybe a four door would be all right. I got a two door truck, and, I, and the, we have a dog kennel in between the front seats. That works out all right. But I, I would think in the pickup truck, like you say, uh, if you got a big dog, that's that's kind of a tough deal. 
do you do you take your dog traveling with you? Not often. Usually, when we go um, out of town, we board the dog uh, someplace, and the dog actually seems to like that. He seems to like hanging out with other dogs and you know that sort of thing. Um, we don't take him in the car, and to be honest with you, like not having to clean up after a dog is maybe part of the reason for having the vacation. Yeah, you know I understand that. <laughs> Tim. Yes. Do you want to ask him what's the proper vehicle for a goat? I mean, I just got I got to bring it up because we oh. Tim has a goat story for you, Brian. Uh, you tell it, and we'll see if he's got any suggestions. Oh, Brian, we had to take the goat to the vet <laughs> on an emergency, and uh, my daughter and a neighbor loaded him into her Mazda sedan while I was rushing home, and then uh, I took it from there and took the goat to the vet clinic up in Athens at UGA where they uh, did Took surgery. Care of yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Well, so but maybe we can do a, a best best goat. The goat didn't cars. really like riding in the car. <laughs> <You> think? <laughs> he tried getting out. There's no telling how many pictures I are bet. on Facebook of the goat hanging his head out the window. Now let's talk for a minute on the serious side about pet adoption. Uh, I mentioned that a lot of people adopted pets during COVID and that and you know, it, it's changed the the uh, traveling climate, I guess you will. Uh, tell us a little bit about it, getting homeless dogs out of shelters and into homes. Yeah, so part of this list that we come up with every year, which is the best cars for dog lovers, we also include um, a separate site, which will give you safety tips on mm-hmm. how to care for your dog and how to watch out for them when you're on a trip, how to secure them, things that you should bring. Like if you have a nervous traveler, you might want to bring a blanket or one of your T-shirts or something. But we also have dogtrader.com, and on that site, you can find all these tips. But you can also find a way to adopt the dog in your area by putting in your zip code, and you can even pick by breed if that's what you want to do. The whole point is to get more dogs out of shelters and into, you know, nice homes where they can be cared for. Now, is Dog Trader part of Auto Trader? Yeah, we just come up with a with a, a separate little uh, experience cool. to get people thinking about their pet safety, but also, you know, in, in addition to that, maybe adopting a dog at the same time. That's very interesting. Yeah, that's a good idea. So what is your what is your favorite pick? Uh, if, if you were going to take your dog with you, what, what would be your favorite vehicle uh, according to if you had to choose off your list? I would, take, I would take a minivan. I just think that those work best. They have air conditioning and heating vents in the second and third row. Right. Second and third row seats fold down. They have many anchor points. Um, from there, I really like the Chrysler Pacifica. I think it's a great van. And it even has a built-in vacuum in case you just can't stand all the pet hair. Ah, hadn't thought about that, yeah. The pet hair for sure. Where can folks go to learn more about these tips, uh, access dog trader and auto trader and all the things that you do at your sites? Yeah, you can go to autotrader.com, and there's lots of great information there. There's, of course, many new and used cars for sale. Um, Dog-specific, go to dogtrader.com, and you'll find safety tips, how to care for your pet on the road. Um, Turns out a lot of people think that the dog likes going on a trip, and maybe they do. Uh, but you can also find a way to adopt dogs while you're there, dogtrader.com. Good stuff. Brian Moody, executive editor of Auto Trader. Thanks for taking the time to be with us here, Bud's Garage. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll be right back here at Bud's Garage on North Georgia's News Talk. WDUN. Okay, before you ask me, Tim, my Mustang Mach 1 was obviously missing from Brian's list, but you understand now about the Facebook post that I put in there. Because we can accommodate our puppies if we love them, uh, no matter what kind of car we drive. This this is a bunch of bulls, so we're going to let DJ Bill lead off with it. Bill uh, sent me this story. It's just an unbelievable story. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Continue on, please. (laughs) A Nebraska man was pulled over by police Wednesday for driving with the biggest front seat passenger imaginable, a fully grown Watusi bull. Norfolk Police Division responding to a call about a bull riding shotgun with a man on 275 eastbound at around 10 a.m. The man, identified as Lee Meyer of Nelly, was driving with a bull named Howdy Doody. Okay. And he was making some, apparently, in the back seat. You can see in the picture. I didn't. I missed that. Yeah. All right. 
Yeah, it was all down the back so, of the car. So they performed a routine traffic stop. <laughs> Nothing too routine about this. With a yellow barrier on the side of the car to keep the bull inside. Did they lay on the horn? Ah, uh, you know, you see someone driving down the road with a bull, leave them alone. They're trying to get the bull somewhere. What do you want to mess with them for? They, they didn't give them a ticket for anything, did they? It was a moving violation. <laughs> Oh, no. You guys got to stop. Moving uh, <laughs> violation. But he did, he did give him, uh, he gave him a warning. Now, what's the warning? Yeah. Don't drive through here again with the bull in the car. Don't, don't drive around with a bum steer. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, you know, he's, he uses the, the car. It's a Crown Vic, by the way, uh-huh. which I'd like to see under that floorboard on that side. That bull had to weigh 1,200 pounds. All right. But anyway. So he's, he's got the Crown Vic, and he's, he, he uses it to take the bull to parades and things like that. Mm-hmm. Or to, you know, fairs and, and right. stuff. And, and he, you know, the, the post went viral. Yeah. That's what we got to do, Tim, to get noticed. We got We got to. You got goats. Can't we do something with the goats? Well, I took the goat to the vet one day. In I know, the, but in can't we put them all the, in the back of the one? Yeah, I guess in, that's in what we need Ruby to do is the put them. Yeah, put them all down in, the road with them. Right. Yeah. Okay. You'd feel pretty sheepish when you got pulled over. Oh, oh gosh. Well, oh. He, he made the headlines, uh, and you know he's 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 been noted in the paper before when he mm-hmm. took the bull to a, uh, a uh, the Antelope County News, a parade in town. Can't make this up. Antelope no. County News took it to a parade in town. The kids went nuts with the you know yeah, seeing the bull sure. in the car. I just think it's good fun. It's- what a great time. All right. Well, I think he's a nincow poop. Oh, <laughs> oh, Bill. Bill, Bill, Bill. Well, we have a special guest, actually two guests in Bud's Garage Overdrive today. And uh, this this is a thrill for me because I've known these guys for a long time. They helped us out when I was teaching school, helped us out at car shows, and they've always been a, a giving entity, uh, and they're just now that I've retired from teaching and I'm building cars, I even appreciate them more because, you know, I can get the stuff I need and put these old cars together. And that would be Kevin King and Pat Staten from year one, the muscle car restoration folks. Guys, welcome in to Bud's Garage Overdrive. Yeah, Thank welcome. You so much. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah. Well, this is a big thrill. Now, I, I got to ask you both. You know, we, we know what you do and and how you how long you've been doing it. And people go can go to the website and see how involved you are in giving back to different organizations and the people you've worked with over over time. And we'll get to that as we're you know as we're talking through this uh, this session here. But Kevin, let me let me start out with you. Were, were you a car guy? Well, I've I've always been into cars to some extent. I was not necessarily a you know gearhead if you will as as they're commonly called uh, for these the older generations that are in these muscle cars uh i was a, a a high school student in the 80s and i needed a job to get out of school early so my friend worked at year one and he brought me in to meet lynn and his last name is athanasiades and he founded the business in the 81 we incorporated and uh i said his name right and he hired me so I kind of became an instant car guy from that point forward. <laughs> so how did you? How long did you practice it? When, all the way over there? It, it's an odd thing. It, from the day that I saw it, I never had a problem saying it, and I could spell it immediately, and I think that helped. So oh, wow. it just it just really wasn't a problem. And I've listened to people butcher his name so many times, and it's like, <laughs> really, people? Come on! If you can't say it, just say Mister Lynn or Lynn, because it's better than messing it up. There you go. Right now, Pat. Would, were you were you a car guy in the yep. beginning? Yeah, yeah. You've all you've always been a car guy. Always been a car guy. All right. Were you building him? Were you just modifying well, kind of him? a motorhead? Started off with the dirt bikes, and one thing led to another, and then got the driver's license, and uh, uh, here we are, all these years later. All right. Here we are. You say here we are. Right. How did you and Kevin meet up? Well, uh, actually, Pat knew Lynn from Lakeside High School. From high school. And uh, so he's known Lynn longer than I have. Uh, I just, when I got involved in the company, Pat wasn't there yet. Yeah, and actually, and he started a marketing department. Yeah, yeah what, so what, what year did you come? I can't remember. 1990. 90, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I'd been there six years okay. when Pat showed up. Okay. So, uh, And then he kind of uh, started in sales and, and marketing, I guess, to some extent, but 
more sales than anything. Yeah. And then but. we did a little R&D, and then yeah. we did a little pulling yeah. and shipping, and we still do a little pulling and shipping, and uh, that's what it's always kind of been about is uh, it's a team effort from the All front right. door to the back door and understand everything that makes it happen. So how many, how many schoolmates are involved in the company still? Um, to this day, probably just Pat, because okay. everyone else has aged out and retired pr- pretty much that were involved at, that were with Lynn's age or Pat's age, I guess. Right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're older than I am. <laughs> All right. So how did it, how did you, you start in marketing, Pat, and, and you're in, in, you, are you doing sales then? Is that what you were oh, doing, no. Kevin? Oh, no. When I, I was like the fifth employee, so I okay. did everything. If it if it needed to be done, collectively, we as a group did it. Kind of like Pat said, it's still that way today. But I started off working in the warehouse, just manifesting the, the shipments going UPS, stocking the parts, pulling the orders, shipping the orders, making the catalogs at lunch. I mean, you name it, we we were doing it. So it was uh, all done by memory. We didn't have a computer system or anything. So I learned to take inventory in this little paper book, and I, I made colored uh, files, if you will, within a three a two ring binder that opened up from the top. And you would you'd put interior, and and I made blue pages for interior, and then red pages for body, and then orange pages for engine, and I put tape down the side for the inventory so I could easily erase it and fill in with a pencil. So if I got three in, I could change the zero to a three. And if we sold one, I had to flip back through there and subtract one and change Holy it and make a note cow. for how much I had on order. And That's all like that the stuff. old card so, file. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, pretty, that, pretty, that but we just kind of, you know, modified it to, and, and today it's the same way. We, we, uh, we have a computer that does it now, but my mind still functionally looks at it the same way because I do all the purchasing as well for all the products today still so where did the parts come from back then um more times than not you found them through dealerships because you could still get a lot of stuff from like mcnamara pontiac or or uh what was white white dodge or white white and dodge indicator indicator yeah there and uh uh, mcnamara was one um what's that guy's name patrick Pat, uh, Patrick or Lee Park. Lee Park Chevrolet. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep, yep. Uh, and there's lots of places like that. And then uh, junkyards, word of mouth, uh, you know, various vendors were already making things, just not a lot. And it's evolved tremendously, obviously, to where now, you know, in some cases you have five tools for the same part, which is kind of ridiculous. But right, yeah, that's how yeah. it is. Now, well, the, the junkyard stuff. Tell us a little bit about the the junkyard. Well, I was, I was just going to say is what Kevin was talking about is a lot of people that were enthusiasts like we all are, and you might have a day job that you could say, well, I can make this thing after work, mm-hmm. and you'd make this part because you needed it, and then your buddy would see it and say, hey, where did you get that part? Well, I made one. I'll make you one. And one thing led to another. So back in the 80s and 90s, a lot of people got into the parts business by making parts that they needed and just saw the growth of more demand and started making those parts. I mean, Kevin, you can probably name off better than I can a lot of vendors that have, have kind of come from that age to now. Oh, yeah, they're, they're countless. We have 1,100 vendors, and probably two-thirds of them were started off just like we did. They Somebody in a particular region needed something and. That's that's kind of how they got going as well. So these guys would take like a piece of trim or something that was, you know, outdated. Of course, it seemed to me that in in, in the old days, if you will, because uh, I grew up in the '60s and '70s, '50s, '60s and '70s, but and, and that parts stayed around for cars a lot longer than they do now. It seems to me like a new car, if it's three years old, it's hard to get parts for. And and with the junkyards and all of that, you know, you could go to places. And people would, you know, nowadays, uh, these these cottage industries that you're talking about, some of these guys have really latched on and found out what's not available anywhere, and they make a specific part. And I, I think that's great that, you know, they they put it through you guys and, and can sell it that way. Yeah, that's pretty much what happens. The the uh, the the kind of the, the diamond in the rough part is kind of gone. There's not a whole lot of things that are just like, huge numbers of volume that was made that isn't available that someone hasn't already made you know because it's just if it if there's that many cars there's there's going to be demand for it so it ends up being your one-off pieces now that are your 
or maybe there's low production, but it's a high risk make because you got to put a lot of money in tooling. And mm-hmm. then the part cost goes way up and you only sell one every other year. And it's just, it's just not worth doing. So you refurbish a lot in that way. And you have different catalogs for different cars. What, what did you originally start with? Was there one car that got you started and then you just developed more catalogs? Well, the, the, the story, if you will, behind the company and how we got our name was a, it, there was a pea green Firebird. It wasn't the most attractive Firebird uh, color choice, I guess, for some people. I always thought it was cool and still do. But um, Lynn, who founded the business, wanted a Trans Am, and 69 was the first year of the Trans Am, hence the name Year One. So he cataloged, or as he went to find parts for his car, specifically it it began to you know he had a lot of friends that were into old muscle cars obviously at the time so they would be like hey pick me up a so-and-so for my cutlass wire over there if you can and maybe so-and-so needs a buick part so then his friends kind of became his catalog so it would be like if i had a car he might keep up with what i asked for and then if you had one or pat had one he might keep up with what he and then bud might have one of these and then Suddenly, he's keeping up with what they have, so when he goes back, he knows what. So if somebody says, I need something, he can pick it up and fill their order, you know, just kind of with his pen and paper, sort of. sort of. And that went to how many catalogs now? Uh, well, we had 20-plus at one time. We, we, we actually can't print them anymore because they're, they're sort of cost-prohibited. Correct. They, yeah, they've yeah. gotten so expensive to do. We pretty much just rely solely on the Internet now, which... I kind of have a love-hate with that. I'd rather have a printed copy. In fact, we're working towards a line-listing type scenario at the very least by section that someone could just peruse down and say, yeah, that's what I need right there, and like items and things like that. But it's catalog costs just got to be five, six, seven bucks a piece. You have 20 car lines, and you got to print 10000 at a time. Wow. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Well, at one time we were producing a new catalog every six mm-hmm. weeks, right? And they're and you know they're they're Sears and Roebuck thick. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you were doing them at, at you, you in house in house. You know, you were you know photographing them and mm-hmm. doing yeah. all of that yeah. right. in house. When I when I got involved with year one, it would have been in the two thousands, and you had a a big location. You had a lot of employees. How how has the business changed, and how how has the 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 location changed, and how does how does how has the stocking changed? Because I would imagine at some point in time you had, you know, Camaro fenders by the hundreds, and and it, is it worth even doing that anymore? Well, that's a that's a really good question, and I think a, a question that many of us in the industry struggle with because it's a it's a huge investment to put things on the shelf and and sort of speculate that they'll sell. Obviously, you have years worth of history that tells you. Like any other business, A movers, B movers, C movers, etc. The problem is, as things go up in cost, you become less and less ability to go deeper into your B's and C's because you only have so much money to go around. So you got to make sure that the things sell the most. You always have, and then you go as deep into the next bucket, etc., etc., on down the line. So, what you rely on is a timely. Uh, resolution partnership with a vendor that if you need something you can call them up and order it and they get it to you within seven days or less then you can flip it so two weeks is not a bad time to wait in in this market now in 2008 it probably wasn't a bad amount of time to wait move forward into 2023 and people have become let's just say less patient with Mm -hmm. waiting for anything it's about instant gratification. And I right. think some of what's transpired in the last couple of years with COVID and people wanting to stay home and everybody wanting everything instantly and Amazon, Walmart, two-day shipping, you name it, everybody's kind of gotten ruined with, you know, I place an order, I expect it to be here in two days, and that's just not realistic. Right. And, by the way, mo- more times than not, Nice little small parts that fit in a box the size of a CD or a DVD or, you know, little flashlights and things like that. They're they're not so expensive to ship, but most of our items, if you imagine, you go from, you know, the tiniest little wheel opening molding screw to a hood. And well, a hood ships truck, there's no way around it. You're going to pay 250 to $400 to get it shipped, period. You're going to spend about the same amount on the hood. You got a thousand bucks in a hood. 
plus all the damage risk and everything else because a hood is a sail panel basically you know it's like a giant sail waiting to get hit and right. and that's the other problem with things like that is the smallest scratch or ding is a customer service problem because you can't really you know the guy opens it up and it's not perfect and well that's what he paid for right and when it left here it was perfect but it got a little dent and even with that little dent, it's going to get worked by the body guy anyway before it gets painted. But it's hard to convince a guy that just gave $1,000 that that's the case. Sure. So, you know, it, there's all kinds of challenges, and everyone faces them. And I'm not sure, you know, exactly what the answer is. But protect your stuff when you ship it as best you can. And then align yourself with good vendors that can deliver fast. And COVID and the China effect and all the delivery problems that happen as a result of that, we're still dealing with that. You mentioned COVID, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up the the environment during COVID where people were, you know, were staying home. What did that do for business? I've heard, I've heard both both sides of this story where, you know, you couldn't get stuff, but everybody wanted something because they were home working on their car. That, and that's <laughs> true. It, it's it's very very weird. Uh, Probably the Gulf War, when it first started, um, you saw the same effect. Is A lot of people didn't travel after uh, when that started. And then um, 9-11, the other thing, um, the same thing happens. You get the folks, when they stop traveling and spending all their discretionary money on that kind of thing, they find their passion. And their passion for most people in our market is their car so when all else fails they'll find a way to tinker with that car and they're going to need something and it kind of it never fails so when you when you read in the paper that everyone's staying home and not spending money then there's a good chance that they're going out back and working on their car building a shed whatever they do the problem is now with inflation discretionary money is becoming more and more of an issue so let's face it if you have to choose between your son having shoes for school and camaro parts well i know which way you ought to go myself and i'd be the first to tell you that even though it would hurt my business but i think you know you have to look inward and really dig deep and determine does it make sense for me to be working on this 50 year old car or do i need to be focusing on what's right in front of me and and the necessities of my family and, you know, that I think you're seeing a real impact as well. There's a lot of scared people out there right now. And with uncertainties with the election coming up and mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's electric cars looming over our head again <laughs> and uh, getting rid of old cars. And now they got to try to start retrofitting, you know, batteries and things like that in the old cars. But the problem right. is it's... It's $90,000 to accomplish it. So who's going to do that besides extremely well-off people? Cash for clunkers. What oh, yeah. did that do for the business? Oh, well, I mean, it was a fantastic effort. The uh, the legislative inroads that were made were vast, and there was a lot of money spent, and a lot of people in the industry got behind it and helped. A lot of customers got behind it and helped. Um, it's hard to say exactly what the impact overall was but it's probably easier to say what it might have been had we not done it which is you know you get your foot in the door and and when they start trying to go after things as soon as they get in you can't hardly stop it i mean first off it's you know this era car and then it's this and then you got to do this and then if it's this size motor and then it's this and then if you can't put superchargers on and you can't do that and then the brakes have to be factory or they have to be this they what they do is they make it like probably will happen in the future, they'll end up taxing these cars so much to have them on the road. If I had to guess, if they really ever do go to electric, you'll either have to convert it or they won't even allow it, or you will be charged a premium tax, mm. ad valorem tax or something to have that vehicle, most likely. Because if they do come after us hot and heavy, that's probably what will happen. Because otherwise, how, how do they keep it from the gas or something maybe out, you know? Yeah. Which I, I totally, just so we're clear, I'm always for um, 
cleaner air, uh, more trees, fishing, conservation, hunting. I mean, I'm into, sure I'm, I love right. the outdoors, right. but I also am a realist, and I don't think that I concur to the extent that these uh, people that are making these decisions are they're not on the right track. They're, they're basically lying in their pockets in my opinion. And, um, Amen. I just, I think there's a better way and mm. it needs to be discussed, uh, more without the politics. It just needs to be, we have a problem, write the problem on the board. Let's whiteboard it and let's come up with some smart people and come up with some solutions, but just getting rid of old cars or, or other, um, crazy ideas, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, taking that another step further, the future of old cars, muscle cars, from your experience, do you see younger people and younger generations becoming interested in the same cars that our generation? Do, do young kids like Camaros and Mustangs and Buick Grand Sports and Cutlasses? I, I think I think that's a loaded question. And, and what I mean is that the answer's loaded kind of both ways. My children have grown up in these cars, so they have a deep appreciation and love for the cars, for my cars, for this business, for the industry, because of me. My kids are not necessarily car enthusiasts Mm -hmm. like you might think, okay? And it's not that they don't love the old cars and the, they want all my cars that I have naturally, but they're not going to run out and spend 60,000, 70,000, 80,000, $90,000 on a 68 GTO. It's just not going to happen. Right. Now, keep in mind, it's probably a little not fair because they're not at the discretionary levels of income in their lives yet either. So, but, so I'm kind of, in a roundabout way, getting to your question differently. Because when my children, whom I consider, my son is 33, I think, <laughs> and my daughter will turn 30, but as they grow into their um, uh, highest earning years, this industry will, a 69 Camaro will be a, how, uh, 60, 55, 75, uh, 70 years old at the time that, if I'm doing the math right, it'll be around 70 years old when they (laughs) they get to the time frame. So in other words, we're at the tail end now. The the youth is not going to pick up the mantle for the 60s muscle cars and the 50s. And and again, it depends on how you define youth. As I get older, I think of 30-year-old, 35, 40, 45 even being young. So... That's used to me, and I would guess that the 50, uh, those that are um, probably born in 72-ish are probably the tail end of the big-time automotive enthusiast that would specialize in these cars. Yeah, okay. If I had to guess. Mm-hmm. So, so let's go back to you're starting out the business. Pat's in the business with you now. You've got some other folks that are in the business. How do you, how do you branch out? When I look at the 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 contacts and the relationships that you've made over the years, I mean the list is huge. Uh, you know, people like Chip Foose and and the folks we see on TV on Motor Trend. You know, you've you've dealt with all of those people at some point. How do you get from selling parts to TV and and all of this? How how did all that magic happen? Let me say one thing, and then I want you to answer that. So okay. the, 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 the fact is, just so everyone's clear, that th- this company and how we evolved was Lynn's doing. And it's important that, uh, you know, I, I never want a time like this to go by without giving him the credit. This was originally his dream and his idea and still is. And uh, he had a very... Uh, visual mind about how he thought things should be and in 97 when he retired he basically named me president of the company then and I just continued on where he you know where he walked out at at the end of his uh, coming to work days if you will and retired I just took it from there and, and then 
that's what led to what Pat's about to tell you, the, the way we got into the uh, movies and the TV and stuff like that. It's just kind of naturally evolved. So you consider yourself president of year one, not necessarily the founder of year one. Oh, I am not the founder of year one. That's Lynn okay. for sure. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I was hired by Lynn as a high school student. Because you could pronounce his name. That's exactly right. And then I worked with him since. And I, I have always treated this business as it was his. Most folks uh, nowadays, because he's been gone so long, do not make that connection. And that's, uh, you know, because I'm a partner to Lynn. And uh, I just treat it like it's mine. And he's in the background. Mm-hmm. So, You know, an interesting fact, too, Kevin, is, is Lynn was always about being self-sufficient. So he didn't want to go out and outsource if we couldn't do it in-house. So i.e. we had our own print department, we had our own printers, we had a graphics department, we had photo people. I mean, everything was self-contained. Mm-hmm. And before we moved to Browsing, we were up to like 235 people that mm-hmm. uh, worked in the Tucker three buildings that we had there. And then when we moved to uh, Browsing, we were at 160 was the maximum employees. But realized then, too, the phones were 24 hours a day, six days a week. Right. We yeah. had over 100 people on the phones answering the phones. Sure. You know, Internet was just beginning. And uh, every year that's kind of progressed along and it's changed those numbers. But uh, And then even still you find a lot of people, they still want to pick up the phone, they want to call, and they want to talk to you uh, about their project and the parts that they need and, and uh, stuff. And I, I, think, I think you bring up a very interesting point there, Pat, because... Yeah, I know we can go online and, and look up parts and stuff like that. Well, most people can. I can shut down the Internet if I get online. But uh, <laughs> you, you get online, you can look up parts and that. But there's more to this business than just procuring a part. Uh, I want to pick up the phone and talk to somebody that's maybe worked on this car or, or this type of car. And, and you know, I, I miss that sometimes on the Internet because there there are – pitfalls you can avoid if you can talk to somebody that's worked on mm-hmm. you know this particular camaro or mustang or whatever it's been and and those are the people that seem to be going away because they're the people that have the knowledge and the, and the hands-on they're not just catalog readers because we can all you know go and read a catalog but it, there's more to it than that how how has that evolved and how do you deal with that now that people don't seem to have the hands-on yeah, abilities that they used to have. That's a true problem, and you're exactly right. In, in, unfortunately, this day and age, you don't really speak to people on the phone anymore, and it's only going to get worse. And I'm not talking about, you know, with year one. We, we can. What we try to do is encourage you to not wait on a call. If, if it's backed up and you're having to wait, just email us, and if you need to speak with someone, we will call you. And we'll call you back in a in a fairly good time frame, um, and and or if it's something simple that we can respond, and you have the capabilities electronically. Which let's face it, most people nowadays, you don't do anything that's not on on online for the most part. Not to say that there aren't people that do, but if if you don't keep up with the technology, you literally are you know, going to get left behind. So you can't call the bank and talk to a person hardly. You can't call the the insurance company hard. Well, insurance companies probably still can. Um, power companies, phone, cable, all the bills oh, yeah. you pay in yeah. your day-to-day life. Try right. calling those folks right. and talking to them. And the irony is you can't get anybody on the phone that, when we have a computer problem. That's exactly right. <laughs> that is very ironic. But Can you speak, you speak in the last week when you tried to call AT&T? Oh, Lord. You know, it was crazy. <laughs> and, and I don't, uh, you know, nothing against AT&T, but this one particular problem is, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And, and there's 12 times where we sat there and made the call and got the same response with an electronic thing. And there's no easy way to send them a message to say, I need a question answered. So I think um, to the, the point of your, your, your question is, is it's a real problem, bud, and it's not like you can just come up with, um, you know, people like Pat or Keith Manny or Phil Brewer, um, Big John, Mike Smallwood, the list goes on and on. We had some of the best, most incredibly talented muscle car people and enthusiasts ever in this in this industry, bar none. Okay. And some have passed, some have retired, some have gone to other businesses. 
some still are in the hobby, but but we're all aging, and the, and the the ones after us is just not the same. And they're the ones that are going to be in this industry after us are all going to be digital and electronic. You're not going to talk to them on the phone. It's just it's not likely. In fact, you're not going to talk to anybody on the phone. It's kind of headed that way now. Yeah, we can see it. Yeah, right. It's all going to really be can. just place your order online and. Look at fast food. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're making it now to where they basically are setting up the shops in the parking lot where you never go in. Right. There, yeah. there is no you can't going go in, in anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I think for a long time, Kevin, we were actually a workplace for car enthusiasts that they could come right. and work You're and then at, also work on their cars. Work right. on their cars, right. And, and yeah. realize so many of our customers – this is a passion and a hobby for them. Mm-hmm. That changes the whole perspective. They want to call. They want to interact and say, well, Bud, what did you drive back in, in uh, 1967 yeah. when I had my 69 GTO or whatnot and stuff like that? So it's really almost a friendship. And I can't tell you how many times that people eventually would come visit us and they say, I talked to Alice for 15 years building my car. I want to meet her in person. I've been coming through town, and I want to Absolutely. meet her and shake her hand for Absolutely. all her help or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So it was That's a relationship-building thing, thing that uh, it still goes on today, but not as much as it used to. Well, you feel safe and you feel accepted mm-hmm. when you go into the showroom at year right. one, and you know that no one's going to make fun of you because we're all doing right. the same thing. Right. There's no... There's no secret to it. It's it's a people business. Exactly. Make no mistake. So, you know, the the guy wants to be treated courteously. And how you doing today, sir? Welcome to year one. Is there anything I can help you with? No, I'm just looking. Okay, well, great. If you, you know, change your mind or if I can do anything for you, help. You know, we're here and that kind of thing. And it's not hard. Right. It's you not. Know? And and the same thing. The 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 flip side of that is like I was telling you earlier, is that. We want the same in return. Mm-hmm. You know, if you came in, if you come in there with a problem, give us a chance to help fix it. But please do understand that we we do everything we can to make your experience with us pleasant. It just doesn't always go the way you want it to, and we all can treat each other properly, nonetheless. Right. So let's just remember that we're right. talking about old sixty-year-old <laughs> car parts. Uh-huh. Not that you know you you may have health problems that are much more significant than that old car. And, you know, let's just not keep things in perspective. Yeah. Right. We'd like to continue the conversation because I know it's going to go It's going to go long. Right. <laughs> Would you guys be willing to come back and, and do another segment with us on the, on the podcast? I'm, I'll always be happy to come do whatever you need, bud. We'd right. be honored, guys. This is awesome, and uh, we appreciate the time. Okay. We're going to launch into part two before you know it. All right. Sounds good. Awesome. So, Tim, I know... You and me really love dragging around the junkyards trying to find brackets for engines for these vehicles oh, yeah, that we're yeah, building. Yeah. Or, or fabricating oh, some yeah, out yeah, of, yeah. Uh, no. you know, whatever Just eliminate all that. Reach mm-hmm. out to the people at Concept One. They're here in Cumming, Georgia. And if you need a kit for a 289, 302, 351 Windsor, uh, long or short water pump engine, they mm-hmm. have got the configuration for you. The first kit that they have with all the brackets, all the pulleys, and an alternator allows you to... Choose different alternators depending on how many electronics you have in your car. And that kit's under 900 bucks, 895 They also have a small block kit with an alternator and air conditioner. Again, you can, you can spec out your alternator. You can spec out your compressor and the different finishes on it. And you may need to drill your block on some of these kits because some of the, the different engine blocks had different bosses on them. Mm-hmm. And some of the bosses aren't drilled. You know, when they were manufacturing them, they don't drill them because of what car they're going in or something. Right. They've got the jig and everything you can put in there, get the hole drilled right, and get it finished off. So that's for the uh, small block kit and alternator and AC. Or you can get the Ford small block kit with the alternator and power steering if you're not putting AC in the car. It allows you to choose your pump configurations, and again, you can upgrade your uh, your alternator, long long or short water pump, and the finishers uh, are uh, machine finished, polished finished, anodized black or anodized chrome, and if you want to do the whole nine yards, as they say, yeah, do you know what the whole nine yards is all about? No, no, yeah. it was a military term. I that's thought that's your homework. I think oh, it has something to do with the, you know, the bullets. I, I don't know. Well, that's your homework for next week. All right. Ford small block kit with alternator AC and power steering is just over two grand, two thousand forty-five. 
gives you, again, your power uh, steering pump configuration, power uh, flow rates, um, pressure valves, alternator upgrades, and compressor upgrades and finishes on each of these things. Okay. The last car I built, I did all black anodized. Mm, I bet that uh, was turn, good. Wow, the cool thing about it is black anodized, and then the the, the Allen bolts and everything uh-huh. were chrome, and it just yeah, oh, it makes not everything chrome, they were pop. polished, but yeah. it just it just adds uh, just a great a great look to it. Mm-hmm. So check out all the things they have at Concept One Pulley Systems. If you need help, they have videos, and you can call. And the guy that answers the phone is running the CNC machines. Yeah, so you- uh, and you can talk to the guys that are actually making this stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, they can help you out. That would be And awesome. save you money in the long run. Well, the last time we had our next guest in the studio, we were doing a podcast with him. Right. He was uh, podcast number four mm-hmm. on Bud's Garage Overdrive. And uh, we had a great time. Found out a lot of things about uh, baseball and such things. But he is the president of Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. That would be Rick Humphrey. Rick. Welcome back into Bud's Garage. Welcome, sir. Thank you guys for having me again. It's uh, It's been a while, but it's always a pleasure to be on with you guys. You know, it's been a while. Thank you, by the way. It's been a while, but, you know, it seems like it was last week that it was Petit Le Mans, and here we are in September, just, uh, what, four, four weeks away, a little over four weeks away from the 26th edition of uh, Petit Le Mans. Now, is it the Motul Petit Le Mans? This Motul year? Petit Le Mans. Okay. Uh, October 11th to the 14th. So you're right. So we're uh, we're approaching just a little over a little over a month out, and they do uh, always seem to run together. It just uh, yeah. it, one after another, and and uh, always preparing, always planning, always trying to uh, make the next one better than the last one. There are probably a few folks that still don't know what Petit Le Mans is. Give us a little backstory on Petit Le Mans. As you mentioned, this is the 26th running of, uh, of Motul Petit Le Mans. It's the, uh, it's the IMSA WeatherTech Series uh, season finale. So uh, it's uh, an endurance sports car race, a 10-hour endurance sports car race. And it was patterned after uh, the 24 hours of Le Mans in France, uh, created by Dr. Don uh, Panos uh, 26 years ago. And uh, to replicate uh, that event, uh, in France. And so it has grown um, over the years to be uh, not just a highlight for our area here in North Georgia, but we have fans who come uh, from uh, as many as 40 states uh, here in our country and about uh, six or eight uh, foreign countries as well are represented. And that's not just uh, in the industry itself. That's uh, fans and spect- uh, spectators coming uh, to, to view uh, this event that's been going on for, for 26 years. So what do you estimate this year's 2023 Motul Petit Le Mans economic impact to the community will be? So to, to give it a, a definitive answer from a dollar standpoint, that's kind of hard to say, Tim, but but it is safe to say that hotel rooms are, are filled, you know, all over Hall County, all the right. way up, uh, uh, you know, south on, on 85, going up towards Duluth. Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a strong economic driver for our area uh, in a wide variety of ways. You know, again, I mentioned earlier that fans come from all over our country and then from all over the world to visit, uh, you know, whether they're camping, whether they're staying in a hotel, whether they're, you know, filling their cars at the gas station, uh, purchasing tickets that then funds a tax back into the county. There's a variety of ways for it to impact our local economy. And it's, uh, again, Hall County is a, is a large beneficiary. The state of Georgia benefits. Uh, mm-hmm. The whole community benefits from this event that brings, uh, you know, as many as uh, when you take into the count the, the IMSA Weather Tech Series, which will have 55 entries uh, for Petit Le Mans. Then you've got the Michelin Pilot Fox Factory 120, which is on Friday. You're looking at another 40, 50 teams there. You got the MX5 Cup, which, I mean, so you're looking at well over a hundred teams that are just a hundred teams in our community that come to town. Uh, the gates open on October 11th. Well, guess what? The teams don't just get here on October 11th. They come in as early as Monday and Tuesday of race week. So you're looking at uh, a solid impact on our area for you know seven or eight days by the time you take into consideration when the teams get here 
when the officials get here, when the fans get here. And then, you know, we've got as many as, as 20 employees invested in our community full time who help put this event on and spearhead uh, the activities and spearhead the the facility year round. So, uh, you know, we we are very proud of what we do for the community and 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 hope that the community is as proud of us as we are uh, to be a part of them. Uh, just not just petite, but the the other 51 weekends out of the year of, of what we do at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta for the community. Our guest right now is Rick Humphreys, president of uh, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. What have you done? I know you do things all year long, but how, what have you done specifically uh, since last year that fans are going to notice if they're, you know, Petit Le Mans regulars? Well, the, the one thing that I think will stand out, I hope will stand out, is that uh, we have, uh, when folks come to Petit Le Mans, they'll see a, a new grandstand set up in the in the uh, tower paddock. So uh, just uh, if you're looking um, at the Michelin Tower, from the infield side, you'll see this new grandstand is going to be located to the right of the tower. The reason I say people may not notice it because it's replacing a grandstand that some people may not even know were there. Um, so those uh, those bleachers will be erected and, and in, in, installed in time for uh, for the October event. Uh, permanent structure, 750 seats, uh, and. Uh, Really proud of that because that's something that, that we've needed for a while. We've also done some upgrades into, uh, in some bathrooms. And so, uh, looking to make those type changes that help us operate better, but then also make some changes that fans will be able to notice and see. And those two certainly, I think, are something that, that the fans will notice when they come. So tell us a little bit about the classes of cars that are running this year, and as a follow-up, will there be any hybrids or EVs racing this year? So in the in the WeatherTech series, uh, there's there's five different classes that run. There's the GTP series, which is uh, which is brand new uh, to the WeatherTech series this year. So this is the this will be their final race of the 2023 season. They've put on some great shows. The crowds. Uh, at, at the IMSA events have been up uh, throughout the season. They have one more race left before they come to Petit Le Mans. That's going to be coming up here in September at Indianapolis. So the, the GTP series uh, features Acura, Cadillac, uh, BMW, and Porsche are some of the manufacturers that you'll see in that, uh, in that class. That class has a hybrid uh, a power system or powertrain that allows cars to store power through braking and that power i have seen them use uh, as they leave the pits so uh recently there was a team there testing and uh i was down there watching and they got ready to leave the pits and i covered my ears and i was like oh i, I bet i just look like an idiot but anyway so uh so because you're always used to you know being around cars i i spent i've spent 30 plus years in the sport and can't half hear my kids when they're yelling at me <laughs> and I attribute it to racing because I was too cool to put in earplugs and I've learned over the years to cover your ears and I was I was prepared and then I look like a idiot but anyway so uh in addition to GTP there's the LMP2 LMP3 classes and then the GTD Pro and GTD classes that'll run on Saturday in the 10-hour event uh, and then in the on Fridays, the Fox Factory 120 for the Michelin Pilot Series. Some of the other series is that other series that will have uh, the VP Challenge Prototype Challenge Series, uh, as well as the MX5 Cup racing uh, throughout the weekend. So very very packed schedule beginning on Wednesday with on track activity. The gates will open at eight on October 11th, and then on Saturday with the Petit Le Mans. We'll start at uh, 11.40, and we'll wrap up at 9.40 p.m. on Saturday, October 14th. Well, we call it an event because there's so much going on besides the racing at the track. Now, can you hang around for a few more minutes and tell us some of the other stuff that's going on besides the racing? Because, uh, man, it's it's a carnival. It's a carnival of of cars and people and speed, and it's just a a great thing to be a part of. Love to. What else is going on besides the race? Because... You can do a lot of things uh, in between times. Well, first of all, it's a four-day, so we open the four gates. Day, that's yeah, right. we open the gates on Wednesday, uh, so fans can start coming into the facility on Wednesday. Um, we have a fan zone that includes a, a kids area. We have uh, that same fan zone includes a lot of interactive uh, uh, displays. 
Manufacturers will have their latest and greatest vehicles on display for you to take a look at. Cadillac, Chevrolet, Lexus, BMW, Ford will be there. Um, Acura is going to have uh, a spot in the fan zone as well as Hyundai. So a wide range of some of the same manufacturers that you'll see on the track will have their cars on display. Not just race cars, but uh, road vehicles as well that uh, that you and I may drive and you know, sit in and take a look at and figure out what our next purchase is going to be. And then on Saturday, each uh, on Friday for the Fox Factory 120, which is the Michelin Pilot uh, Challenge Series race, um, there's a grid walk that allow fans to go out onto the pit lane and look at those cars uh, that will be participating in that race prior to the green flag. And then on Saturday, prior to Petit Le Mans, there's a, a grid walk that will include all 50-plus cars uh, lined up on the front stretch for fans to, to walk around, look at those cars. Uh, we'll have a driver introductions, uh, much like you. If you've been to Petit Le Mans the last couple of years, this is, I think, our third or fourth year doing this where we'll bring out a stage and give the drivers the opportunity to walk across the stage, wave to the crowd, greet, greet the crowds. And with this grid walk, uh, you're down there on the pit lane at the same time as these drivers are uh, going through driver intros. So oftentimes fans will get the chance to, to take a look at them or uh, see the drivers come across the stage, take pictures with them and so forth, and then they'll go get in their cars. And, you know, think about that. Prior to these guys going out there for a 10-hour endurance race, uh, you're out there on the grid looking at their vehicles, rubbing elbows with these drivers. That's a that's a neat atmosphere, neat environment that we're able to provide fans that uh, that certainly makes it more than a race and, you know, makes it certainly an event. Yeah, it, it, it's a very unique thing. Now, do they have, still have the driver um, autograph session? They do. They do have that. What, and What day will that be? What time? So on Friday from one o'clock, from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock in the IMSA paddock uh, on the infield side, the WeatherTech series will have an autograph session. So the fans will be able to, uh, in addition to being able to rub elbows on Saturday during the grid walk, on Friday from 12 to 1, there'll be an autograph session where all the drivers will be set up behind their uh, haulers. Uh, so where their teams work on the cars, they'll have tables set up, and, and you'll be able to walk through and meet and greet and get autographs uh, of those drivers that you desire. That's a cool deal because that's, I can't think of many races where you can do that. You certainly can't do it, and I'm not knocking other series, but you certainly can't do it at a, at a NASCAR race necessarily. And this, this, is, this is up close and personal with everybody. It is something that, uh, that IMSA has, has created and, and done throughout the years at, at all their events, and it's become a staple in the, in the schedule. Uh, and so it's something that the drivers are expected to do, and it's something that they enjoy doing. Camping. What's the uh, camping situation right now? Slim. Very slim. Slim. Wow. Yeah. So um, we, we've had, again, as I mentioned, the GTP series um, or class uh, added to the WeatherTech series has really provided uh, a big push for, for IMSA. And all the other events have seen uh, record crowds or at least increased crowds from previous years. Uh, and we're trending that way as well. We're very fortunate. All of our reserve camping is sold. We probably still have some opportunities for people to get unreserved uh, camping as well as some tent spaces, but uh, it's, uh, it's going very well. One of the things that being a GA facility, I mentioned those grandstands earlier, those are unreserved. So but being a 10-hour event, being a 12-turn, two-and-a-half-mile racetrack, fans have the opportunity, ah, I've seen this long enough. I'll go to turn six and seven and watch it back there. Yep. Stay back there for a couple hours so you can move around. So it's a GA, GA ticket. So those those single day tickets that start at $75, those four day tickets that are $95, you can get that ticket. It's a general admission. You can come move around the property. So, uh, that's something that, that I don't ever foresee us selling out of, you know, because we don't have a oh, capacity no. on people. Yeah. We have capacity on vehicles, camping and that type stuff. And I will say that the, the reserve camping is sold out. And then the unreserved is, uh, is very, very limited right now. So, Rick, how can folks learn more about the Motul Petit Le Mans and all the rest of the year's schedule at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta? Well, the best way is our website, roadatlanta.com. Uh, all the information for Petit Le Mans is, uh, is listed on there. Uh, the event schedule, the event activities, uh, ticket pricing, how to purchase tickets, and, and all, the, uh, all the things that are necessary that you may need to, to attend Petit Le Mans. Rick Humphrey. 
president of Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. Thanks for taking the time to be with us here at Bud's Garage. And we'll see you at the races. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. Classic muscle car restoration. I'm up to my armpits in it right now with a Mustang I've been working on. Yeah. You know what I just ordered yesterday? What? Set of Magnum wheels. 17-inch Magnum wheels. They look like the original wheels. Oh, right. And they're bullet. Right. And they come with the long lug nuts that the the wheels had back Mm -hmm. then. The car had 14-inch wheels. We put the 17-inch wheels with the meats on it. Man, they look fantastic. Right, and you don't have to use trim rings on these, no, right? They're, no, they're billet. They're all yeah. billet, oh, yeah. It, it's, looks- it's great. Got them from year one. Uh, Pat helped me out with all the stuff I needed to, to make it all fit and offsets and all that kind of stuff. Because you don't want to put too big a tire on these old suspensions. Right. Uh, if you get into a real wide tire on the old suspensions that didn't have rack and pinion and stuff, they kind of wander around a lot on the road. Okay. They, they Well, the tires tend to track off in their own direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a, with the old time parallelogram suspension, so you got to you got to know that kind of stuff and have somebody say, "Hey, maybe you don't want to put 14 inch, you know, tires on the front of this car." Right. Plus, it won't clear the inner fenders on a lot of cars. I get That's you. the kind of stuff that year one can tell you. Yeah. And they have a lot of wheel specials. I bought a package that put everything together: the lug nuts. I got to pick out the valve stems, the center caps, all that stuff, and it's all together when you get it. That makes it simple. Yeah, ready to go, and you don't have to worry about whether it's going to fit. Check them out at yearone.com. Okay. Well, Tim, as they say in the business, well, we are in the business. Yeah, they. That's, yeah. A, that's a wrap. Oh, okay. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, let's thank Jacobs Media for the production facilities and our producer, DJ Bill, that would be Bill Wilson, Rick Humphrey from uh, Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta. Brian Moody from Kelly Blue Book and, and Autotrader.com. And our special guest, Kevin King, president of Year One, and Pat Staten, marketing director from Year One. We had a full, full house this week, so I uh, want to thank all those people for taking their time to come on in. If you want to catch the radio show on Terrestrial Radio, uh, it is WDUN, AM 550 and FM 102.9 out of Gainesville, Georgia. You can get it on Access WDUN, which is a free app and listen to all the stuff that we do at the station uh, during the week. And you can also check us out on any of your podcast sites. Remember to keep between the ditches, shiny side up. We'll see you next week right here in Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. <laughs>